And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, who in time past, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So let's pause and let's look at that this morning and go through this verse by verse and see what is God telling us. First of all, now I'm going to use, we, we've been to, because we're a new church, we've kind of been working through understanding the doctrines that are in the passage. So just for some of you who are new with us, you say, well, why are you doing this? Because I think it's important that we understand the words and the doctrines that are involved. A doctrine that's described in verses 1 through 3 is called hamartiology. It's the doctrine of sin. Okay? So it's kind of a big word, but simply put, hamartiology means the doctrine of sin. And it describes the condition of humanity. In our church, this would be under the doctrine of man, if you were to look in that first section. Because of Adam's sin, all of humanity inherited a sin nature. We are alienated from God because of our sin. That's an important thing that every one of us needs to know. God, who in chapter 1 describes how he loves us, how he was involved in creation, how Jesus Christ was involved in creation, how the Holy Spirit was involved in creation, and God who had a plan for us before we ever were. <coughs> because of our sin, we have been separated or alienated from God. Sin always alienates from God. Sin always separates from God. And that's an important thing for us to remember because Satan doesn't want us to think in specific terms. Oh yeah, sin is bad. Well, how bad is sin? Sin separates us from the one who loves us. Because of sin, we became subject to physical death. God never intended for you and for me to go through the experience of death and the emotional separation of death. This wasn't God. People would say, why would God do this? That's a great question, but you need to back up one step and say, not why did God allow this to happen, because we know God's intent was never for us to die. Why do people die? Because sin entered into the world. Now don't think that I just said that every sin that we do is a direct act of God judging that person. That's not what I said. We live in a sinful world, and because of sin, there is death. And death came on every person because we are all sinners. We are totally morally corrupted. There is no good thing in me. And there is no good thing in you. It's not that we're just hoping to get good enough. The scriptures say we're totally, totally corrupted. We are morally corrupted. And we are unable in and of ourselves to rescue ourselves. 
I don't know if any of you saw this past week. I think it was on Fox News, but I'm sure it was all over because it wasn't a Fox News article. And that was, did any of you see the deer that was stuck on a lake? They, they show a video of this young buck who was in the middle of an ice-covered lake, and he's just there with his legs out. And they showed him trying to get up, and he couldn't get up. And he tried to get up, and he couldn't get up. His front part would come up, and the back would go up. And he'd get his back up, and the front would go up. And I mean, this just kind of went on, and it's like, it's, it's kind of funny, and it's kind of sad. And the next thing you see are two hunters, which is also kind of humorous. Two, two hunters are going to rescue this buck that had he not been on the lake, would have been, been in the back of their truck. So you see them with a little John boat. They had shoved this boat out onto the ice, and one guy's on the shore that's going to pull this boat back. And he, and he goes out to the deer, and the deer at first is fighting. He's scared of this boat. And the boat goes out next to the deer, and the guy does a really poor job of lassoing, but finally he just reaches over and drops this noose over the, the deer's antlers. And then... He gets the boat close to the deer, and the guy on the shore, probably with a pickup truck and a winch, is pulling the boat and the deer back to the shore. Because the deer wasn't going to get off the lake. How he got out there? I don't know. It didn't matter. The point was, he was out there. You know, the Bible describes us in that same way. We are unable to help ourselves. We are stuck, and it's going to take someone else, someone who is not stuck on the ice, someone who is different than us, to be able to rescue us. So we find our condition. And before he talks about what God did, I find it fascinating that he talks about what we were. Literally, if you look in your Bible, you notice the third, fourth, and fifth words are in italics in the King James Bible. Did you notice that? The reason why they're in italics, the translators were told when they did this, they used different typefaces, and they did that so that you would see what they added in to help us understand what the Greek was saying. And literally it was, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins. They, he didn't begin with, hath he quickened. Now, it's in the passage. There's no new truth that's being added in here. What I want you to see is Paul begins and doesn't even complete his sentence until, until verse 4. And as he begins verse 1, he all of a sudden takes this side road and describes what does it mean to be dead in trespasses and sins. Notice the first thing that really stands out. He says, and you. You know what that is? He is describing personally what we were. It's important that we remember that. You know, I don't know about you. I have been saved a very long time. And the longer I have been saved, the easier it is to forget what I was. And Paul to the Ephesians says, now, I've told you all about God's plan for this new church, and I'm going to tell you about God's plan for you as a new person 
But I want you to understand something very importantly. Before you will ever be blessed by what you now are, you need to remember what you were. And we forget that when we come to church. We forget that when we live our lives. We forget the incredible power of sin in our lives. And the word you here is, is personal. It's not generic, not like y'all. <laughs> y'all were, no. He's saying, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. And he's going through, and it's a personal term, and he says... I am directly speaking to each of you, you being dead. It's a spiritual condition. It's not a physical condition because if you look at verses 2 and 3, you realize he is able to do things. These dead people are doing things, which really seems weird to us because we're saying, how can a dead person do something? He's talking about being spiritually dead. Luke chapter 15. If, if you've been to church, maybe you would be comfortable in the story of the prodigal son. If, if that's a new story to you, let me just tell you briefly. The prodigal son is the account of a man who has just become, he's a young adult. His dad is a very wealthy man. And instead of being appreciative for his dad, he's very rude. He says, Dad, I know you're going to die one day, but by the time you die, I might be too old to really enjoy what you're going to give to me. So, Dad, would you just give me what you're going to give me when I die now? And the dad says, okay, here it is. And the son takes that money and he goes away and he lives a life that is totally inconsistent with the family he was born into. Totally inconsistent with his, can we say, creator. And you know what the dad in that parable says? My son was dead. No, he wasn't. He wasn't dead. He was alive, very alive. He was squandering all this money. He was living this lifestyle of doing whatever he wanted. Yet the father in that story says, my son, which was dead, is now alive. You see, we use that term. And the idea here of, of being dead, he's saying it's a spiritual condition. It's death. Not in the fact of not breathing, it's death in the fact of no relationship. When we talk about death, we talk about the fact that we're separated from that one. There's no relationship anymore. When my father died, I was standing right by the casket, right by his body, and yet we were separated. You know, it's that same way with God. Though God is all around us, and God is everywhere present, and God is so gracious, yet we are dead to him. We are separated from him. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. And you, who were dead, and then he describes why were you dead. He describes your death by saying you were dead in the condition of trespasses and sins. The idea of trespassing is the idea of 
to deviate, to go off course. And you are separated from God because you've gone off the path, you've gone off the course. All of us, the Bible says, have sinned. And because of our sin, we are separated from God. So our defilement always causes separation. That's an important thing for us to remember. How were we separated? Notice with me, it says, Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom we've all had our conversation in time past in the lust of the flesh. He's going to mention three things here in the text of how we have trespassed, how we have become defiled. We are children of lust. They are defiled. We are defiled because we lived sin. Now notice it's a former condition that he's describing. And you who were dead in this trespass and sin, when you walked according to the course of this world. This was a former condition that we need to be reminded of. It's a former condition that was a day-by-day -day condition. It wasn't just an occasional thing. This is the way we lived. It was a mindset. And what was the mindset? The mindset was the same mindset that everyone else in this world has. We were dead in trespasses and sins according to the course of this world, the mindset of this world, the way the world functions. We live temporally. That's a time word, which means we lived for right now. It wasn't thinking about the future. We lived according to the values of this world. Second thing he mentions here for us, though, he says, we used to live according to the prince of the power of the air. And then he describes who that is, the spirit that now worketh among the children of disobedience. That tells us something. It's not only what we used to be, but it tells us what the world still is. We need to remember that because what the world still is, that's the world in which we have to live. And he says, it's important that we understand we followed the lead of Satan. We were under the control of Satan. The idea here is to follow the lead of a captain. The team we were on was the team of the course of this world, was the team of the prince of the power of the air. The, the captain who's still the team leader of those who walk as children of disobedience. He talks about not only their, their values, but what's interesting is the idea here is it's not only that they were roped into it, but that was their wish. You know, I can't say, oh, I didn't know. I did know, and I chose. I chose to disobey God. It wasn't that I had no idea. Oh, you mean lying is wrong? I mean, not only did I have a conscience that worked really well and had to work overtime, I not only had a conscience, but I had parents and I had friends say, you liar, you can't say that. I knew and I chose. 
By my will, I lived under the prince of the power of the air. I lived with the children who walked in disobedience. I lived according to the way this whole world thinks. And then Paul goes on to say, they were not only defiled because they were children of lust, because they lived in sin, because they followed the lead of Satan, but they were defiled because they desired sin. Verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of the flesh. You see, what is the desire, the definition of the desire of the flesh? That's an internal condition. We talked about what the world system does. We talked about what the captain of sin, Satan, does. But now it really comes home. He's talking about what was my desire? What was on the inside of me? I thought this was one of the commentators I was reading this week said, the moral character of the desire is determined by the object that's named. You say, that doesn't mean anything to me. Let me read it again. The moral character of the desire, whether or not a desire is good, is determined by the object that it focuses on. Jesus said in Luke chapter 22, with great desire have I desired to have the Lord's Supper with you. Have I desired to eat this meal with you? The desire, it tells you, was that a good desire or a bad desire? Well, it can be a neutral desire or a good desire, depending on the focus of what it was. Jesus said, I've wanted to be with you. I, I looked forward to this fellowship dinner we're going to have together at the Passover. Paul, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, he says, my desire is that I would be with Christ. Paul in 1 Thessalonians says, my desire is to be with the Thessalonians. You see, we have all kinds of desires, but the object of the desire determines what that desire, if it's good or if it's bad. Here Paul says, among whom we all had our conversation, our desires, our lifestyles in time past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desire of the flesh and of the mind. The desire of the flesh here is talking about rebellion against God. Genesis chapter 6, he talks about these children of wrath. The desire that they had was they were in opposition to God, talking right before the flood. In Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon is talking about the futility of life. And in the futility of life, he says, I've drank, I've eaten, I've fulfilled all my desires. And literally what he's talking about, the excesses of life, where we just let ourselves do whatever we want. This is the same idea. The desire is not a lapse in judgment he's describing. It is a deliberate premeditated choice. Why is this so important? Because we have to back up and we have to remember. You see, almost 50 years ago, I received the Lord as my Savior. And my life changed. Oh, it's not perfect. It should be, but it's not because I'm a sinner saved by grace and I still have desires and God lets me choose every day. What will I do? He gives me what I need. 
But then he says, will you take my grace or will you do as you please? Will you sin? So we look at this and he's saying, you know, this is the way we all lived and we all have made deliberate choices. There's no one of us that can say, well, I think I've really lived a sinless life. Notice in verse, the last part of verse 3, he calls us, he says, and we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That tells us a couple things. This is what we were, and then he said, even as others, which means this is what others are. They're under God's punishment because of their sin. What's the summary of these verses is we did what everyone else did. We did what Satan did. We did what we wanted. We did what came naturally. And we were in deep trouble. What we were, verses 1 through 3. If we ever forget what we were, we will not appreciate verses 4 through 10, which is what God did. What did God do? Well, we see he now picks back up again where he started. Remember how I said he kind of just drove off the course in verse 1, and he says, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins, and then we come back to verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. What he does there is he, he begins a thought in verse 1. In verses 2 and 3, he tells us about what that really meant when we were dead. And then he, he gives us this tidbit, this, this glimmer of hope. And he says, but God loves you. And then he comes back again in verse 5 and he says, even when we were dead. And the only difference you notice in verse 1, he says, ye, in verse 1, in verse 5, he says, we. It's all inclusive now. He says, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace ye are saved. First of all, I want you to notice the prompting of salvation. Who prompted, what prompted God to show us mercy? And my family and I, we were talking about this. What causes someone to show mercy? It can be any number of reasons. In fact, worst case scenario, I might show mercy to my enemy if I know he's prone to keep doing the same thing so that he's going to get hurt worse. You say, would you really do that? I'm a pretty wicked sinner. You see, all of a sudden, mercy is not giving someone what they deserve. But the question is, why does that person show mercy? And verse 4 tells us why God does this. But God, who is rich, who is wealthy, who has unlimited resources and mercy, but notice what it says, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Why does God show mercy? Not because I'm this great person, and not because God's impressed with you either. God shows mercy because he loves you. 
God loves you. God is not motivated by the sinner turning over a new leaf and trying to be a nicer person. That doesn't motivate God today. God is motivated by his own love. Notice the prompting of salvation, but notice the period of salvation. When does God say, verse 5, even when we were dead in sins? Romans chapter 5, 8. God lavishly displayed his love toward us. The word in our Bibles would be commendeth, but it has the idea of this incredible Christmas show window. Now, people don't do that anymore. When I was growing up, I would go into downtown Indianapolis, and they all the big department stores had big show windows. And they weren't malls, they were these massive buildings, and when you'd go downtown, they would have these elaborate displays in the windows. The idea here is God elaborately displayed his love toward us. How did he elaborately display his love so that we wouldn't question it? While we were yet sinning against him, while we yet hated him, Christ died for us. You know, sometimes we would say, well, you know, that's a really good person. You know, Mike is a really good guy. Therefore, I would be willing, because I, I know his family, and I love his family, I might be willing to die for Micah. But what about the scoundrel that I don't know? What about the guy who's tried to break into my house? What about the guy who keeps stealing from me? What about the guy who's constantly keying my car and doing things to me? What about the guy who is defaming me? What about the person who is intentionally in my face every day? Who would die for a guy like that? We would be ready to help flip the switch for him. And God says, you know God's love for you in that he lavishly displayed his love for us in that while we were hating God, Christ died for us. That's what he's telling us here. Even when we were dead in sins, God is merciful and we are sinners. Look at verses 5 through 7. We continue on. We've seen the prompting of salvation. What prompted our salvation? God's love. What was the period? When did salvation take place? While we were yet sinners. What, who is the person? What is the path of salvation? We read, Have quickened us together with Christ. Parenthesis, by grace you are saved. He's going to describe that a little bit later in verses 9 and 10. But he gives us just that little, that little snippet right there. You see, salvation, the person and the path of salvation is in the person of Jesus Christ. There is no other way of salvation. There cannot be salvation in any other. There is no other way of salvation given among men whereby we can be saved. It's Jesus alone. Now that's going to really be important when we come to chapter 4 and we look at all this practical application because Satan's going to come along and he's going to constantly beat you up and he's going to say, you're not good enough, you can't do this. And if it was ever salvation based on me, if it's ever salvation based on you, then you can't do it. 
But if it's always been all about Jesus, if it's always been Jesus who has provided this, if it's always been while we were dead and we had nothing to do with our salvation, then later when he says you can do this, it's not about us, it's what about God gave us. It's still all about him. You see, today, the excitement that we have is not that we are better. No, I was bad. But I am in Christ. I'm in Christ. That changes the way I look at life. Jesus Christ provides salvation. Notice the word there. It says, quickened us together. What's the next word? With, he's quickened us with Christ. You see, he's now describing a substitutionary death. One person dying for, the, for another person in their place. So when one person dies, the other person is dying with them. In the Old Testament, when, when God was trying to give Israel a picture of this, he would use animal sacrifices. And we're repulsed by that, and we say, you would kill an innocent animal. Yes, in fact, it's even worse. He would put his hand on the head of the animal so that when they would slit the animal's throat and that animal would bleed out and die, it was a very visual picture that this animal is dying in my place. It was a substitutionary death to make alive. It is through, it's with Christ, it's in Christ. Notice the power of salvation. He hath quickened us. Now that's, that's not a term that we use very often. Sometimes maybe we'll say, boy, that got me down to the quick. Maybe if you've ever been doing stuff you shouldn't do with your fingers and you pull a piece of skin and you pull it off a little bit and you bleed, you got down to the quick down to the life, down to the living part of it. It's saying, you hath he made alive. You hath he quickened who were dead. You see, mankind is not sick. Mankind is dead. It's not that we're looking around to say, wow, society is really sick. No, society is dead. And we look at it, and sometimes we like to say, well, I'm not as bad as this person. I read about this person in the newspaper. You know, he did this, and he did this, and he did this. I'm not as bad as he is. Let me ask you, how many degrees of dead are there? Well, I mean, you can be more decayed, but dead is dead, isn't it? It either there is life or there is not life. Now, we're seeing the decay in our society because... We've been dead a very long time, but we've been dead. He's describing what has taken place, and he says, look at the power that's here. He has made us alive. How did he do that? We studied the word justification a while back. That is where God declares us righteous because the punishment has been paid. He hath raised us up. That's describing the death of someone, and now they're alive. It's not someone who was sick and took medicine, and now they're doing better. You either have someone who is dead, 
But if they're not dead, what are they? They are now alive. And we're not talking about medicine, we're talking about resurrection. That's what each of us who have received Jesus Christ, that's what we are today. We are made alive in Christ, through Christ, with Christ. And now, here's the thing that I hope will be a huge blessing to you and lets you see where Paul is heading. He now gives the purpose and the privilege of salvation. Why did God save you? He loves you, but God has a purpose for you. God didn't save you then to ignore you. God saved you so that you have purpose and the privilege that we have is we have yet a bright future. We have a bright hope. This is one of the reasons why we would say we believe in eternal salvation. You say, boy, this isn't a normal eternal salvation kind of verse. No, it's not, but look at the implication of it. What does he say? Verse 7, that in the ages to come, let that settle in. What's he saying? He's not saying now. He's saying in the future. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. You know, there is something coming up for each of us that is not now. My purpose is not just now, which means I won't lose my salvation because God still has a plan for me in the future. It's not just all about now. It's not, well, I could serve God now, but I'm going to lose my salvation in the future. If I've received Christ as my Savior, I want you to know when someone tells me go to hell, I can't. If someone, you know, I try not to be snippy and smart-alecky. When someone looks at me and says, well, go to hell. Sorry, I can't. But since you've raised the point, do you know where you're going to go? You see, the reality is, because of what Jesus Christ did, because he did it while we were dead, because he did it without any of my help, I also am secure in the future because my salvation never was based on me. It was always based on Jesus Christ alone. You can be saved today, no matter who you are, if you will just recognize you are a sinner. You violated God's laws. You've been separated from God. But God loves you, and he provided a way of salvation through Jesus Christ alone. Therefore, if you would accept that gift, you can be saved, and you can be secure in your salvation. Now, don't be fooled. You can't fool God and say, well, I'm just going to say a couple words. I'm going to say some kind of magic prayer, but I really don't want to be saved. God doesn't make you get saved. Let that settle in for a moment. You know, Almighty God could make you do whatever he wants to do, and yet he gives you a choice? How does that work? We have an almighty, loving God who has planned from the very beginning and yet he says, whosoever will may come. Today, if you would like to be saved, you don't have to wait until you're good enough. Amen. You have to be willing to understand Jesus is good enough. Now let's just go on just a little bit further. We're almost done here this morning. 
He says, yes, there is a future plan in order that we might demonstrate we are here to bring praise to God. We're here to bring praise to him in the time to come. I get to praise God today. I don't know if you've ever gone into Chick-fil-A and, you know, almost always their phrase is, my pleasure. You know, whatever you ask for, it's my pleasure. And in fact, it's to the point now when I see people out in the community, not at Chick-fil-A, when they say my pleasure, I always think, I wonder if they worked at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> you ever, I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you before or not. I have that happen to me and I always think, where'd they get that? I wonder if they, I wonder if they worked at Chick-fil-A at one point in their life. And God this week, as I was reading God, his word, I just thought, you know what I get to do? God let me move to Fargo. I get, to, I get to be here. I get to enjoy the snow. I get to enjoy the cold weather. But more importantly, I get to demonstrate to everyone that I'm around how good God is. My pleasure. Glad to do it. It's my privilege. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to minister to you. And you say, yeah, but I've got this problem. I've got this problem. You know, it doesn't matter. Because if I can just get you to my God, he can fix you. I get you to my God. He'll empower you to where sin cannot have dominion over you anymore. At any point, with the power of the Holy Spirit in you, you can. When you're tempted, say, I've got the Holy Spirit. I don't give in anymore. You say, do you always win? No, because sometimes I forget to say, oh, I've got the Holy Spirit in me. <laughs> sometimes I totally forget. Maybe you do too. Don't feel beat up this morning. Be encouraged. Look what you have. Look what he says here. He says that in the ages to come, verse 7, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And then he explains, he says, for because you are saved through, what's the next word? Well, it's a familiar verse. We've memorized it. We often pull these two verses out and we say, you don't work for your salvation, you do this. But the bigger picture is even a bigger blessing. Oh, that is true. But the bigger, the bigger picture is I'm going to bring glory to God in the future because I'm saved by grace. And that not of myself. It is the gift of God, not of works. Lest anyone would become proud and say, you know, well, I gave... <laughs> I gave $10 in the offering today. I'm on my way to heaven. I, I tipped 7% to my waitress. I'm going to heaven. And the, and the waitress is going, you are not. <laughs> you see, all of a sudden, we, we like to think we've done good things when in fact our works are never good. And God says, oh, you'll bring glory to me in the future because I'm going to be able to look and say, look, these are people that were all saved by my grace because you've been saved by grace, not of works, lest you would ever boast. And then he goes on. He says, you know, we get to illustrate God's grace. But you know what I get to do every day? I get to illustrate God's goodness. For we are his workmanship. Created, how? In Christ Jesus unto good works. 
You see, God made me. God empowered me. God planned for me in my salvation to do good works. I don't get saved by good works, but once I'm saved, I get to do good works. That, that puts a smile on my face. I'm hoping it puts a smile in your heart this morning. You see, God has a plan for you, and God's plan will not fail. He's working in our lives. How do we illustrate God's goodness? By good works. You see, when I go out in the community and people see me doing good things, it lets them see my God. I don't get it right all the time. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I do the right thing. I was in a thrift shop this week, and I went to pay the lady, and when she made the change, she gave me a dollar too much. And I waited, and I watched her count out the whole thing, and I mean, she'd already missed it at the very beginning of the counting, so she counted it all out. And I said, ma'am, you gave me a dollar more than what you should have. And she said, well, I, I did. That is so kind of you. That's so honest of you. I said, ma'am, it's only a dollar. I said, now the real test of my character would have been if you had counted out a million dollars too much. <laughs> I said, now there, you'd have really known something about me. She said, and you know, I would have just, I would have rewarded you by giving you half of it and I'd have quit my job and we both would have skipped town. <laughs> and, I, and I said, you know, ma'am, I am worth more than a million dollars. And she goes, hmm. And I said, and you are too. I, and just, it was just a buck. But the reality was, I got to show God. She said, you know, I've been reading these things on Instagram, on all these um, inspirational thoughts. And I said, you know, and I read the Bible for inspirational thoughts. And she goes, oh, okay. She said, you know, I see those things on Instagram. And she was back to Instagram again. But the reality was, I had just a moment and it made me have the happy dance, to be honest with you. I was, I was pretty happy because I got to go out and in my mind I thought, you know, just for one snippet I got to show that lady how good my God is. Do you know that's why you're here? Remember how I started with talking about God's plan? God saved us and he has a plan for us. Now understand, no matter how good a job I do or how poor a job I do, I'm still saved, and God still has a plan for my life. But if I do a poor job every day, do you know what happens? I'm just miserable. I'm just grumbly. I'm just hard to get along with. I know that's hard for you to imagine, isn't it? But the reality is, I am miserable because I'm not even using the resources I have. And I've lost my purpose. You know, I don't work at a pharmacy. You're a student. You build really cool stuff. You have a farm. You teach students. You design cool stuff. But every day, 
we get a chance to show people, look how good my God is. It's never about me. What did Matthew say? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and what happens? Give you an attaboy, girl, right? No. They glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's the exciting part every day. I get to do this and it's not even hard because I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's given me everything. He's planned out that I would be doing good works. Now, I know you're, you're being really patient. You're waiting for chapter 4. Pastor, just get to chapter 4. Let's get to this practical stuff. The reality is we can't do the practical stuff until we're really solid on what we have. If I, could, if I could wish one thing for you this week, I would wish that multiple times every day you would just remember the Holy Spirit lives in you and he's got unlimited resources for you. That's my desire for you. I don't want you to walk out feeling guilty. Now, if the Holy Spirit says, oh, you need to change this, well, then change it. There's no reason to feel guilty. Just admit it and say, yeah, you're right, I need to change. My desire for you is to enjoy what God designed you to be. So from this text, what do we learn? You can rest today. God saves. Have you ever received Christ as your Savior? Maybe you've grown up in a church and you've worked really hard. And you're feeling really uncomfortable because you say, I hope I'm good enough. I've got good news and bad news. Bad news is you're not good enough. The good news is you don't have to be good enough. Jesus has to be good enough. There can be rest today for your soul. Second lesson today, there's purpose for you. You're here on purpose. <clears throat> Not a mistake. I told you, the one, the one college student that I, that I worked with this summer, her parents just always said, we never wanted you. You're a mistake. And so she got this tattoo that, that's a whole new story, but she got this tattoo that was to remind her that God made her on purpose. I'm not recommending today you go out and get a tattoo. That just is hurting. It just sounds painful. But I will tell you this. Remember every day you've got purpose. Your parents might not have planned for you. God had a plan for you. Last thing I want you to see, not only is there rest, not only is there purpose, there is empowerment you can live to please God today. God planned not only your salvation, but God planned your service. Enjoy your Christian life. What a great salvation. What a great Savior. What a great life story we have.